Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on March the 27th, 2013. Newcomers, as always, make sure you make good use of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website because you'll find lots of audios for free download where I take you through and I walk you through the system that you're living in, the system that you were born into that you take for granted simply because it was there. And you think it's all quite natural because, after all, it was there. Where else could it be? And that's how simple it is for most people who, are, when we're children, uh, we just take things as granted. It must be normal since it, since it exists, and it must be normal because your parents accept it the way it is. They don't warn you about it or discuss uh, it in front of you and so on. And so reality can be created for people and shaped for people, and it has been done through the ages, in fact, for different realities at different times in different countries by dominant minorities and priesthoods as well. And we know that for a, even as Zoroastrian times too, they changed a simple fire into something that came from the sun until eventually you had to light your fire from the priest and you paid him some money or valuables in order to get a light for, from his sacred fire to set your own fire. I mean, it's a wonderful trick, isn't it? And even the old sun worshippers too were trained that if these priests didn't to do their formulas just before sunrise, the sun wouldn't rise at all. And it, and it cost cash to even do that, some form of barter or trade or gold or silver. So, tricks are played all down through the eons with how to manage vast uh, minions and populations, of course, and we're doing the same today. And in fact, it's even more precise today because your education props you up for it too. Uh, your news reinforces that all the time, the newscast, and uh, as they augment what you think is your reality. And you don't realize you're being trained all the time for what's coming next and what's coming next because it's planned, you see. It's all planned way ahead in advance. Very simple. So make sure you, you go into the history of it, how it all started, of course, and, and you'll start to wake up to the, the, the reality of the world. Remember, too, that you're the audience that bring me to you. You can help me take along, hopefully, by getting the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com or donating. And from the U.S. to Canada, as I always say, you can still use personal checks or international postal money orders from the post office. You can also send cash or use PayPal. And across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. And remember, straight donations are really seriously welcome as we go through austerity, which is just poverty, as they inflate the currency, and it's worth less and less and less in, in purchasing power. And as I say, most folk, unfortunately, and it's very difficult too, even when you understand what's really going on, to keep your, your mind in balance sometimes because you're flooded with data, constant data, worse than ever before with the internet and everything else now. And of course the, the two main news groups, really it's, it's one news group that gives the world its whole news. In fact, authorized what news is be told to the publics across the planet. And we're standardized. We get standardized news. And uh, some folk think there's so many news stations, it must be all different, it must be independent. There's nothing independent about it. They all get it from the same sources and just parrot it to us and then we parrot it to each other. And most folk today, unfortunately, truly expect the media 
to do their thinking and reasoning for them. You'll notice in all their, their, their when they bring experts on, generally two at a time, and they go through their little fake debates, that they're guiding you towards a conclusion that was set up in advance for you to accept. And, and most folk do without question. They, they never question the fact that private companies with their own agendas, that work with international organizations with their agendas, and you, th- you still think you're being told the truth because they bring supposed experts on. And you don't even ask who pays these experts, who they work for, what's their agendas. Everything is agendas, everything. So you'll never really get truth by simply listening to things and, and taking the opinion you're given on a, a screen. And the, people's, the people who are actually talking are thousands and thousands of miles away. You'll never meet them in, in, in reality. So we're overloaded with data today, and most folk get really confused with it all. They go off and fake hunts for truth, and they never find it. Now we'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and... And I've talked um, over the years about the big institutions that formed uh, this global structure and planned it all from the Royal Institute of International Affairs onwards because they have the CFR as well and they have the CFR in so many countries across the planet now. You, you can't count them all. You can pretty well accept they all have them. And uh, they actually put your prime ministers and presidents in. And their own historian, Carol Quigley, uh, said that too, admitted that, that you haven't had a prime minister or president even in the US for, at that time it was the 1960s, he said that for, for about 60 odd years then. So we're, we're, we're really, yeah, it's about 100 years, you haven't had someone that isn't a member of that, same in Canada and elsewhere across the, the old British Commonwealth countries. And now it's into India too, and they have the EU all members of it too. So, regardless of you, if you elect people, uh, that's put in front of you to elect, of course, because you're getting a choice of, of guys who are already cleared by the CFR to pick from, then you're getting one of their boys regardless, it doesn't matter how you vote. And you gotta to understand too, the easiest way to, to get herds of people, and they call us herds, so it's okay for me to use the same term. Uh, herd management, medicine uses it too now with vaccinations and um, to get the herd moving is to, because after all if you have a peaceful period like the 70s was kind of fairly peaceful and um, they were working hard, mind you, to set up the global structure and give more power to the World Bank and so on and so on and accumulate more and more debt uh, on, on, on the backs of the publics as they gave out loans across the world but uh, but at the same time, they were. It's hard to get them moving fast into new ideas when they've been peaceful for a while. And so the best thing to do is to start stampeding them. And they talk about this in the boys, the boys at the top who actually manages all, of course, in marketing, etc. Fear is the greatest motivator to get people to just jump on board with whatever plan you you offer them, uh, because they, they're worried about their safety or their future or whatever. And of course, since 9/11, it really escalated since they immediately went into the overdrive hype. They were to go off and do all these wars uh, that no one knew was going to be a whole series of wars all because of one guy living in a cave in Afghanistan, supposedly. It was all bogus, of course, but that's what they gave the public. The dust hadn't settled on, on the towers coming down, and Kissinger and others were yelling on the media that it was Ben Laden. So it was all planned that way. And since then, too, you've gone into martial law across the world. 
It doesn't matter what else they call it, security, whatever, it's martial law, basically. And all the plans that they couldn't get through beforehand, like national ID systems, all this kind of thing, have all been done. It's all, it's all in the process. So, uh, as I say, the best way to get folk to accept systems that they shouldn't accept in a quiet period, you can ram through when you've got them all running. So stampede is good for progress, as they say at the top. And at the same time, too, uh, most folk, again, never question all of the stuff that comes out on regular television to do with uh, ecology and uh, global warming. and so They just lap it up, thinking all these experts can't be wrong. They never go in to see who funds these experts. It's all the same sources, by the way. And then, of course, now you've even got people, uh, second-generation ecologists, uh, totally brainwashed and more fanatical than the previous ones who want massive changes in the way that we live. But again, these changes were all put out back in the early 1900s by people like H.G. Wells and so on, who called for global depopulation of all the wrong peoples, you know, the, the lower classes and so on. And so eugenics is a big, big part to, to play in, in with the ecologist program. And apart from that, too, uh, there's so much money getting poured into it. The big boys at the top, they run all systems, all systems. They run capitalism, they run communism, they run all. They also run the ecologists, too, because this is a new way to, to it's a big stick, basically, to get you to change your ways of living. And they give you scary scenarios and scary stories. Now, this article here explains this because... And it's, it's interesting that that explains it, because I've mentioned it so many times and, and gone over the articles that they put out there, where some of the top leaders in ecology have said that we give them scary stories to get the public uh, panicking so that they will go along with what we want them to do. But here's one here. It says, eco-madness. It says, as earthworms are blamed for global warming. No kidding, the earthworm, right? Ecologists also suggest killing polar, polar bears, it says. And it says, the world of global warming alarmist is, is increasingly resembling a madhouse with conservationists falling over each other trying to salvage the last shreds of credibility. This is very funny. What makes the situation hilarious is the fact that many eco-zealots inadvertently put out increasingly panicking publications that look more like satires than studies. As a Daily Caller reported February this year, a new foe has been appointed to accelerate global warming, and that's earthworms. It says, yep, you've heard it right. Earthworms, besides the fact that there's no global warming, and therefore the very premise was faulty, earthworms are now joining the, glowing, the growing list of evildoers who get the blame for global warming. The report states that earthworms play an essential part in determining the greenhouse gas balance of soils worldwide and their influence is expected to, to grow over the next decades, reads the abstract. They are thought to stimulate carbon sequestration in soil aggregates, but also to increase emissions of the main greenhouse gases, carbon dioxide and nitrous oxide. It says, oh my lord, the earthworm has now outweighed the other prime candidate, which is the sun, and it seems the rise of earthworm knows no limits. It says in the report, over the next few decades, earthworm presence is likely to increase in ecosystems worldwide. For example, large parts of North American forest soils are now being invaded by earthworms for the first time since the last glaciation. Ask any fisherman. I mean, they've always gone to the, the forests are great for getting earthworms, always have been. But it's the first time, according to this report here. Maybe the folk in cities will believe it. And it says the poor earthworm was, was preceded by the unfortunate cow, which back in 2006 was blamed for climate change, a thoroughly deceptive phase, because there's one thing constant about climate is that it changes constantly. And it says here's a list of things our good old grazer has been accused of. 
A United Nations report identified the world's rapidly growing herds of cattle as the greatest threat to the climate, forests and wildlife. And they blamed, uh, they're blamed for a host of other environmental crimes from acid rain to the introduction of alien species, from producing deserts to creating dead zones in the oceans, and from poisoning rivers and drinking water to destroying coral reefs. And then it says, in all of their desperate manoeuvrings, the eco-zealots have even presented a solution to cow and earthworm-induced global warming, namely to euthanize the great polar bear. That's the answer to it all. Now, this, see, see, here's the techniques. Now, you understand, when so-called scientists are, are feeding you lies to motivate you to agree with them, you can't like, believe anything they tell you. And this explains it here. It says, according to the world's leading polar bear scientists, polar bear populations in the Arctic may have to be subjected to intentional population reduction in order to ensure a viable but smaller polar bear population. Already having to suffer its identity being abused by global warming alarmists as a symbol, a symbol of man-made climate change, now the polar bear may have to be euthanized by overzealous conservationists. A dozen academics described by Yale's environmental magazine as the world's leading polar bear scientists published an article in an environmental conservation paper in which they stressed that the time is nigh to euthanize polar bear populations in Canada, Alaska, Greenland, Norway, and Russia. Controlled reduction of a population size through harvest might be necessary to ensure both human safety and viable but smaller polar bear populations as a result of declining habitats. So it's not declining at all, by the way. This is, this is the spin. So the way that these conservationists tend to go about this is the humane euthanizing of polar bears who are unlikely to survive due to global warming. So here, here's their spin. If we don't kill them now, they'll have an awful suffering time as we go through global warming, even though the ice is thicker this year than it has been for an awful, awful long time. It says euthanasia may be the most humane option for individual bears in very poor conditions are they are unlikely to survive. Under the circumstances, it would be important to develop clear guidelines for identification of starving animals. One of the leading polar bear scientists who co-authored this bizarre proposal, Dr. Stephen Amstrup, emphasizes the purpose of the suggestions for polar bear management is, is to remind the readers and hopefully policy people that the long-term future of polar bears is in jeopardy. So, it says, and this is what Armstrong says, it makes managers and policy people aware of the various kinds of on-the-ground actions that may be applied and makes them begin to think of the varying levels of cost that may be involved in the different options they may choose. In other words, it's a PR piece to get you thinking. Another scary scenario. Oh, my God. But to kill them all off because in the future they're all going to melt and fry, you see, which is not humane at all. Another scientist who participated in the writing in the article, University of Alberta biologist Ian Sterling, stated in an email to Yale's Environment 360 that the paper serves as a starting point, a starting point that clarifies the need to be developing some preliminary plans for dealing with such problems. As Yale's Ed Struzik reports, it says, the scientists realize it will be difficult to sell these controversial management strategies to the public and to policymakers. One impetus for action will likely be an increasing threat to humans in the Arctic from hungry bears being forced off the ice and onto land. Because they say it's all going to melt, you see. We've seen that forever. He quotes yet another co-author as stating, the sooner we consider the options, the sooner we'll have a plan. The worst case scenario is catastrophically early sea ice breakup with hundreds of starving bears followed by inappropriate management actions. As this is pointed out earlier, the noble polar bear's great image was co-opted by eco, uh, ecological zealots as their mascot, claiming polar bears could not swim. That's what they said. They couldn't swim. They could swim 500 miles. 
It says this image was even denigrated by eco-marketers to scare people into believing man is to blame for seasonal fluctuations in ice mass, as the following clip from 2009 shows. So in other words, they give you scary scenarios in order to get to go along and again and to keep their funding going too. Do you realize this is one of the biggest growing industries in universities? They're churning out these fanatics who all get grants, you see, in this particular time. They get grants thrown at them like never before. And, and if the grants stop get thrown at them, they're all out of work and have to get a real job. Then they go and work for marketers or maybe the World Health Organization where they talk about you know, coming plagues and stuff, you know, because that seems to be their, their whole MO. But this is how they go, and this is how they, this is one article, understand. And if you would do a check daily on the similar kind of articles coming out to, to terrify the public from all these, these different um, people and organizations, uh, it's just it's astronomical. They're all, all working together on the same agenda. They're on board, as they say. They're all on board together. And they literally will try and terrify the public into, and, and, and the governments, by the way. More importantly, the governments, because they grab your tax money to, to pay these sods to, to lie to you. And they're living great and well. Folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and just talking about the eco-madness, but it's really planned madness and it's a clever madness too to try to terrify the public and governments especially since they're getting their own funding through governments and so on to, to give them more cash so they can give us more scary stories about nonsense. But that's how you terrify the public. It was the same techniques they used to, remember, to get people in Europe to join the, this EU superpower, this, this super parliament that's non-democratic. And uh, it was planned again by the Royal Institute of International Affairs, a private organization set up by world bankers. And they're the guys behind it all. They run the United Nations too, by the way. They also drafted up the CFR branch of them, drafted up the NAFTA agreement for Canada and the US and Mexico. So we're living through a long-term plan, and a lot of it's done by fear. And they say, if you don't join these organizations and amalgamate your nations, you'll be left behind, to tell you. Well, look at the mess Europe's in now, all the European countries. As, as I've put this money, borrowed money from the same bankers to throw into a money pit, as to try to plug a hole in Greece and Spain and elsewhere, and it's never ending. And, of course, that debt accumulates, and those countries now are gone. They're in perpetual debt forever and owing it all to the bankers. That's what your governments are there for. They're, they're really, your governments are really go-betweens between the bankers and, and, and you, and you are the guarantors of all the debts. That's the job that they have now. And, of course, part of the, the plan of the Royal Institute of International Affairs was to set up these um, big amalgamations of nations, trading blocks, they called them, and bring in the so-called free trade, which is not free trade at all, by the way, uh, it's really a, a, a monopolization for, for the big top international corporations. They'll keep everybody out of free trade. It's a limited competition, you see. And also, too, uh, they wanted to uh, bring in the World Bank, which is set up a long time ago, and the Bank for International Settlements, which is to be the kingpin that runs all the private central banks, all planned by the same guys who decided to bring in this global system a 100 years ago. And their foundations and organizations are still working full-time on the same agenda. That's why all the articles mentioned yesterday 
on the different uh, treaties that are being signed right now. You've all the, the, the further integration into the American uh, Pacific relations um, uh, integration there, the Pan-American and uh, the Trans-American and Trans-Pacific and all the rest of it. These are all binding agreements to bring you deeper and deeper into total trade pacts. And with the trade pacts, your, your laws, all your laws eventually change as everyone in Britain has and, and elsewhere in Europe has found out. Because all your laws center around your economic system. Now, a great trick too that the big boys play is to give you, give countries that are kind of wary of joining, say, the, the system of the World Bank, for instance, and the free trade agreements of the system and, and the, the various groups that come out of it is to give an alternate one for the other countries, you see. So they gave them the BRICS, the BRICS, B-R-I-C-S nations. And it does the same thing. It does exactly the same thing. It binds them all together in trading agreements. It's a supposedly an alternative to, to the main one of the World Trade Organization uh, with its own big World Bank system. But it, it's all meant to pull them right into, suck them right into the same. It's a fast way of doing it to countries who didn't want to go into this WTO system. What's well, an alternative one? Is it really, folks? Is it really? You wait and see. It'll merge with the World Bank down the road. And here's an article on it here. It says, all the way to the bank of, of BRICS, it says. It says, um, a BRICS bank could help foster even more trade between countries involved, says Jim O'Neill, chairman of Guess Who, Goldman Sachs Asset Management. It says, O'Neill, also known as Mr. BRICS, because he coined the term BRIC in 2001 to refer to developing nations in Brazil, Russia, India, and China. In 2006, BRICS was formed, uh, it was formalized at, at the initiative of Russia and enlarged in 2011 with addition of South Africa. This year, the establishment of a development bank is expected to be one of the highlights when leaders of the BRICS economies meet Durban on Wednesday. If, in fact, the BRICS bank is announced, this will be the beginning of an institution that sort of becomes a world bank for their huge sphere of influence, O'Neill told China Daily in an exclusive interview. In his mind, the bank could be helpful in promoting BRICS countries' trade. He's waiting the BRICS summit to see where they announce the formation of the bank. I bet he is, too, because believe you me, it's the same boys that run that, too. And right next to it, too, I've got the World Bank. It says, the World Bank has said it will stand ready and work closely with the BRICS Development Bank, this alternative system, it says, you know, to end poverty throughout the developing world. Well, as we see, that's what the World Bank was going to do when they set that up back in the 1920s or so. See, poverty not, doesn't exist anymore, apparently, according to the World Bank. You see? So the World Bank said it will stand ready and work closely with the BRICS Developing Bank to end poverty. Isn't that wonderful? And says, describing the BRICS Development Bank as a significant undertaking, the World Bank has said it will stand ready and work closely, etc., etc. Uh, the summit in Durban today decided to launch a development bank and create a USD $100 billion fund for contingency reserves arrangement to tackle any emergency financial crisis in member countries. So all those BRIC countries are just like the, the US, Britain, and every other country now in Canada. In the WTO, uh, now they have, now they'll be dishing out countries to third world. It's not going to go to the third world. It goes to the international companies they set down in the third world countries for cheap labor. That's where the money goes to build the plants. It's a great deal. And, and of course the big international organizations get them all built for nothing. And they get cheap labor. That's where the money goes. But it's borrowed again from all the, it's big, the, the about 200 families in the world. The same 200 families that are on the stock market. And they end up getting all that cash from uh, 
by you because you're all, you're all the taxpayers. But your presidents and prime ministers sign that away to them in loans, which they can never pay back. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix. And on this particular broadcast, I generally talk about the, the big system, the system that really gives us a reality. And they do give us a reality. They even admit sometimes they give us a reality. And they change a reality uh, when it suits them. And it, it works awfully well for most folk. They go along without even thinking, without even noticing. It suddenly changed from this to that and so on. And part of it, too, is to bring in a new society. Remember, this new world order means everything is to be new. Everything. A new way of living and austerity, which is poverty for most folk, with a, a, no middle class at all, pretty well, just a technocratic class. And real technicians, too, that will help, because of the, you have the scientists and technicians to make sure the leader kept at a very high level of uh, happiness and so on. And uh, an awfully incredibly uh, rich elite they have never, ever had before. It's, it's incredible, the wealth that they have today. It's just astonishing. You can't even imagine it. It's beyond anything at all. And part of the process as we go downhill, before they get clones brought in and all the rest of it, is to manage us all psychologically as well. Apart from the fact we already have our, our psychological profiles in the Pentagon's uh, offices because they, and computers because they have virtual U's and I's in there. And I've had them for years. I've read the articles on the air from the Pentagon's own, own papers. And they, they, they feed them daily. They update them daily by all the stuff that you chatter about and put up on the internet and everything else. And, and you chat about in your cell phones and so on. It's in real time. It's updating. And they do experiments on, on, on you all to see how you'd react in different situations. So they've, they've got you pegged perfectly, pretty well 100%, and how you would react in real life with the same scenarios. They, they know exactly how much stress to give you to break you in any situation. And you won't even know what's happening to you until you break. You even know, then you won't know they did it to you. It's, it's incredible. But part of it, too, is neuroscience as well. And they keep churning you again. Most articles that you see get, get coming out are handouts that the media is very happy to grab and to shove in their papers. I've mentioned this many, many times before. And neuroscience is, is a big uh, science, supposedly. They call it a science anyway. They want to validate it as a science and promote it as a science that really works hand-in-glove with psychiatry as a cutting edge of psychiatry now, finding out why people are mentally ill. Now, mental illness is a broad uh, and very wide and often varied definition because, remember, in the Soviet system, anyone who complained about the Soviet system was, was actually diagnosed as being mentally ill. You had to be mentally ill if you criticized a perfect system, you see. And we've got the same system here now, too, and they're going the same way with the same things. If you criticize the system, you must be mentally ill, and they want to treat you. They're going after all the children. I've mentioned so many articles where they're going after children in schools and so on. And in places like Scotland, it's a test bed for the, they're getting monitored from the age of a few months old, right through, for mental health. So they can drug you faster if you happen to be a, a promising young leader. They don't want that. Now here's an article here that says imaging shows promise as mental health screening tool. Now you remember too, psychiatry was brought out for a different purpose than most folk think. It was not to help people. 
as you've been taught to, to believe. It was really a, a social uh, and, and political movement trying to find something to validate their points, to, to take over and start controlling people, and would have to volunteer for it. So it sounded great when it came out. Oh, it's going to cure everything. You understand? Just like when they brought out the different drugs uh, and antidepressants that were going to make everybody happy. Everybody would be on a different kind of drug, Prozac and so on. It's going to cure everybody. Everybody would take it, they said. Everybody would take it. All the mainstream media had pages on this, this wonderful new drug. Look what's happened today. doesn't matter about the lies. You see, they keep spinning the lies to validate themselves as a power and an authority, most especially as an authority. So here they go again. They're not measuring your eyes, the space between your eyes now and the part from your from your lower earlobe to your cheekbone and, and stuff that they used to do in the past or the circumference of your skull. It says, imaging shows promises mental health screening tool. For years, scientists have believed weak connections between different parts of the brain make it more vulnerable to mental illness. What's a weak connection? Take it out and clean it or something? You understand the rubbish you're reading here? After conducting neuroimaging scans of hundreds of college students, researchers with Massachusetts General Hospital revealed MRI scanning more accurately detects true psychiatric illness than students' self-reporting. Those scans provided even stronger evidence about connectivity and risk for mental illness than researchers imagined, said Dr. Daphne Holt, director of the Emotion and Social Neuroscience Laboratory. Social Neuroscience Laboratory. This is for society, folks, to to standardize the people. Oh, you might have a mental illness. We better start drugging you now. And that's the real reason behind all this stuff. I hope you understand that. So she works at the Emotion and Social Neuroscience Laboratory in the Massachusetts General Psychiatry Department. Neuroimaging can help distinguish young people who are actually ill versus those who are not, who are just kind of having transient stress at a normal point in their lives, Holt said. Holt was one of the three Massachusetts General Scientists who spoke at the MGH Leadership for Psychiatry's 7th Annual Seminar, held recently at Casa Bendita, the Palm Beach home of Howard and Michael Kessler or Michelle Kessler, says there's a need to, to develop objective quantitative tests that can detect risk factors so individuals can be treated before schizophrenia, before depression, and other mental illnesses develop, according to Holt. So now they want to try to predict that you're going to have it by looking at your MRIs. The ultimate goal, Holt said, is developing interventions that will reduce the risk and hopefully prevent or at least lead to a less severe course and preserve as much functioning as possible in these people. And then they go through the usual stuff. Ment- Here's the big push, you see. Mental illness has a high emotional and economic cost for individuals, their families, and the country, as the disorders can disrupt lives and be expensive to treat, Holt said. That's right, because these psychiatrists are stinkingly overpaid, believe you me, for what they do. The National Institute of Mental Health, National Institute of Mental Health, again, big authority, you see, estimates mental illness results in $317 billion in healthcare costs. She said, mental illness is the number one cause of disability amongst people ages 14 to 44. So you understand, look at the way it's written. You understand, this is written by marketers. If you don't understand that, it's a way of doing it. First, they hit you with the good news. Well, the good news is we can actually see you're going to get mentally ill, which is bogus, because if you had a hundred different studies going on on the same kind of thing, they'd all have different reports, you understand. So they pick the report that suits their, their purpose. And then they hit you with, oh, the cost to the society, right, halfway, halfway down. 
And I says, why are these illnesses so costly? The most important reason is that they're so common. One in four adults in the U.S. is diagnosed with mental illness. No kidding, eh? one in four, or really? One in 16 has a severely dis- disabling mental illness. And these illnesses, unlike illnesses that happen in other parts of the body, have an onset at an early age, unfortunately, Holt said. Now, remember, anyone, anyone who complains of any depression, even for a week, is put down as mentally ill. Now, there's many kinds of depression. Everyone gets it sometime, because you're human. There's reactive depression. Now, if your family's wiped out in a car smash, you're depressed, folks. But see, they'll put it down to mental illness, because under Freud, you're supposed to take pills and just be happy and have lots of sex. If it's sex again, you're purchasing, buying things and working, you're cured. That's it. Doesn't matter what happened to make it so, you're suddenly cured. 75% of psychiatric illnesses are diagnosed before the age of 24, she said. Uh, making the situation more difficult is the fact that while some good treatment exists, many of the existing therapies are only somewhat effective for some. Therefore, a lot of people, once they develop these illnesses, have chronic lifelong illnesses that need treatments every day. Well, once they get you stuck on the treatments, that's you folks, because that will screw up the brain. So the goal for Holt and other researchers is to develop refined objective tests that when used with data about an individual's family history and known symptoms, creates a comprehensive risk profile. They want to do it with everybody. I hope you understand the point of this whole article here. We need something like that in psychiatry, and I think neuroimaging is the way uh, that we can head there, Holt said. So they put a motto out as well, this, this group here. Michael or Michelle Kessler, who co-chaired the program with Carol Carpenter, says, no family goes untouched. That's their motto. No family goes untouched. Well, you see, they want to get to the state where no family will go untouched by them. And it says the World Health Organization's predicted by the year 2020, unipolar depression, in other words, this depression, will have the highest burden of all medical disorders because they're bringing it into austerity, folks. I've got an article here in Britain's got the highest suicide rates had since the, the depression in the 70s. I've always had depressions in Britain, financial depressions. What do you call it? I think they call it a depression. Everybody gets depressed, especially when you're starving. So, of course, they're, they're going to have more and more depression in the future as they bring you into austerity, post-consumerism, etc., etc. Of course you are. But they want authority, you see. That's what they want. That's what the whole article is about. Also, the UK border agency is not good enough. They're scrapping that and going back to the Home Office. That was a, a big bug. This overrun with immigration and illegals and so on. Also, they want to tax everything they can possibly tax. Now, I mentioned many times before that when King James uh, was in uh, as King of Britain, uh, he uh, introduced it was called the light tax. Some called it the fresh air tax because and the window tax because they taxed you per window pane that you had. Every every pane was classified as a tax. And so you'll see old buildings there from that period that have actually bricks put in where, where windows were. And that's how they got past that. And Britain are going after people who are on benefits of any kind whatsoever, including disability. And if you've got a spare room, they want to cut back on, on the disability money that you get. So a politician has, has told them, brick up your spare rooms. Just get the bricks out and cement and brick them up. Or just a Labour MP, Frank Field. So the government wants to end what it calls a spare room subsidy for social tenants, but critics have dubbed the move as a bedroom tax. And it says, um, it's Mr. Uh, in a de- Westminster debate, Mr. Field said, landlords should brick up doors and knock down the walls in defiance. 
He called the challenge grossly unfair, but Minister says it's necessary to free up housing, stock and cut waste. And it's not. They're, 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 they're just... They, they see you as nothing but sponges that they want to wring out until there's nothing left and you dry out and you just break apart. If they can tax anything, they will do it as long as you go along with it, folks. The bully doesn't stop until he's made to stop. Do you understand that? It's very simple. There's no great science behind this. From 1st of April, changes to housing benefits affecting working-age social housing tenants deemed to have spare bedrooms will mean a 14% cut for those who have one extra room and of 25% of those with two or more. So you just get charged. You're better living in a little, sh- a little hut, a little shack, a garden shed or something. So I'll put this up tonight too. Now, getting back to neuroscience is what they call themselves and, and, and this, this uh, updated Freudianism nonsense. And it says, listen to the, to the terminology here. 500, this is in Britain, 500 terror suspects that they grabbed in Britain were de-radicalized by the Home Office. Do you understand they can cure it? They can cure terrorism. More than 500 individuals have been put through a counter-terrorism de-radicalization program the Home Office has revealed. Some 2,500 people were referred to the program between January 2007 and December 2012. In the counter-terrorism annual report, the Home Office said that hundreds of European jihadists had gone to Syria. It warned that the overall threat to the UK had diversified beyond Al-Qaeda plots developed from within Pakistan. The 500 individuals who were given support through the Home Office's channel program included people who had held extreme far-right views or were inspired by Al-Qaeda. By the way, Britain had so many sting operations there, they put guys out there and and, and gave them great websites, uh, and they would come out and say they were Al-Qaeda members, and they'd talk all the right talk, and all these youngsters would get sucked in there. And of course, they're grabbing them. They're grabbing these these little guys. They don't realize it's run by MI5. It's all run by MI5. So they've grabbed 500 terrorist suspects, probably that, that got in touch with these websites. And then grabbed them off the streets and went put them through this de-radicalization program. So it says some of the individuals steered away from the violent extremism were of school age, mainly children. Uh, Charles Farr, head of the Home Office's Office of Security and Counterterrorism, said, I really believe Channel is an essential part of our counterterrorism. If you look at the cost by comparison, if these people had to be put through the criminal justice system uh, or an investigation, it's a fraction of the amount. Now, you see the, the similarities between this and the last article I read? Halfway down, they've got the cost factor in it. You'll, you'll notice these things if you read enough. You, you'll notice these, you should notice these things. So, so if, if they let it go on, you see, and they actually arrest these guys as, as adults, uh, it would be a bigger cost to the public, you see. That's what they're telling you. And it says, this is quite apart from the damage it does to families and communities. So the report said that hundreds of European jihadists have gone to Syria to take part in fighting. There have been 60 suicide attacks since the conflict escalated. Where? You said they just tuck things in without anything explanation. Uh, Further afield, the report reveals that the government is already increasingly concerned with Islamist groups turning to kidnap for ransom. A lot of these people in different areas in the world do kidnap naturally. It's just a common thing that they do. They don't have to belong to any particular terrorist group to do it. Some 150 foreign nationals have been held since 2009. 30 of them were British. The number of kidnapping in 2012 was double that in 2010. 
and new case to lobby other members of the G8 nations to formulate a coordinated security response to kidnappings and so on. But as I say, isn't that something where they claim that they can de-radicalize people, children? What do they mean de-radicalize them? What did they do with them? Did, did, they, did, they, did, they, did they get them out of shock treatment or something? And, and lots of drugs? Well, how did they do it? doesn't tell you here, right? Did they end up like zombies? Now they're okay, they're good citizens. And also, too, uh, with all the new re- uh, reporting laws that come out in Britain, Australia, and all the British Commonwealth countries, you, you get nothing but trivia in the mainstream now. Because, you see, reporters have been told they cannot put personal opinions and they could be sued on things. That's why you get so much trivia thrown out in the last couple of weeks. And you expect a lot more in the future, because they're not going to risk their jobs. So you're under censorship, basically. We're under complete censorship. And all handout now is just handouts to the newspapers from the big organizations, or MI5, or CIA, or whatever. And getting back to one thing they wanted to cover up, too, was the Jimmy Savile thing and all the sexual deviations and, and, and suffixes that gone on the BBC for forever, basically. It says, two senior Doctor Who staff used their jobs to sexually exploit young male fans of the BBC show in the 1980s. I'll put this one up for those who care. And it says that uh, John Nathan Turner groomed young men who visited the studios. And production manager Gary Downey was also involved in new book claims. And the claim is that Giant T once engaged in sex act in BBC office while on the phone. And they were actually raping young boys, you know. Also, the East Enders, it says, the paedophile storyline, it says here, and it goes through what happened with this big, I've never seen any of it, of course, I wouldn't watch it anyway, I don't watch TV, but it says, the year's biggest, most controversial storyline on any soap came to a shocking climax recently, and it says, and it gives you videos to, to look at some of the things they had on it, but it says, it gives you the story of one of the episodes for, in, for an instance, just for an example. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the Matrix, talking about uh, just just what they're putting out there on television and how they're programming the public to accept what's coming, which of course is paedophilia, is normal, and and many other things too. Uh, they used to be called deviancies, but of course they can't say that now, it's, they're all normalised, you see, politically normalised, not scientifically. So science is corrupt as well, if it goes to caves into it, which of course it did, including psychiatry. Anyway, getting back to this article here, it says that uh, this is the soap that they watch on TV in Britain, EastEnders, it says that um, that uh, the storyline gets controversial when the adult Tony comes into Whitney's room, kisses her, and said how much he has loved her since he first laid eyes on her 12-year-old face. So, I mean, stuff like that's commonplace now, apparently, on television, and you realize you're all getting programmed to accept something that used to be abhorrent, because when a, when a people, any nation whatsoever, allows its children to be tampered with, it's over and done with for you. There's no future, because the first thing should be protection of the next generation. Protection. That was an instinct. It wasn't taught, it was instinctive. So your instincts have been drummed out of you by your masters, and you don't even know it. Because this is meant to get an neurotic response from the public. And these masters of, of psychology know how to do that in behaviorism. You know how to do it. Once it happens, you're, you're done for too. You've lost yourself. Also, since the bank plunder, 
you see the banks plunder, uh, they always plunder nations about twice a century minimum, and lots of mini ones in between, and get off with it too, you see. Then they get more and more uh, uh, confident in themselves, they can do more. I mean, you, you wonder why they're despising us all, and they keep plundering us, and so it's a government that works for them. Your government, their government works for them, not you. As I said, all your job is, is, is to be the guarantor of the loans your government hands out. But it says here, the EU Union, this super Soviet uh, parliament of set up in Europe, has proposed a budget increase of £9.5 billion this year. An increase. That's over the regular stuff that they also bring in. More than the controversial Cyprus bailout that would cost British taxpayers £1.2 billion and leave David Cameron no option to veto. So there's the wonders of, oh, if you don't join it, you'll be left behind. Oh, it's going to benefit everybody. Liars, liars, liars. And the folk all know that, but they still don't, they still put up with it. And they keep getting screwed, folks, and they keep well getting screwed. Because these guys are getting vicious. Why shouldn't they? Because you're doing nothing, you're so passive. So passive. Also, this article two about hepatitis B shot, and this is from again um, uh, articles has been studies have been done with science again, and they found out that the B the hepatitis B shot it doesn't it causes a lot of problems after the injection in a lot of children. Uh, it doesn't do anything. That they're, they're finding a lot of the teenagers now who had the shot when they were young, or babies, uh, are still getting hepatitis B, like all the other shots that you get. And for the U.S., I'd like to put up a site tonight, too. It's it's really open the books, it's called. It's a good website where you can look into see what the bureaucrats, and even the professors and all the rest of it in your areas and your states are getting paid. It's just staggering. So you go into New York and see how much they're getting paid there. You can't believe it. It's humongous, as they say. Humongous. And you wonder why your taxes are so high. If you want to get rich, don't work. And try and make things that are, you know, are handy and useful. Get into government and so on. That's the way they're all going. There's nothing else left. From Hamish from South Ontario, Canada, it's good night, me, your God or your God's go with you. <laughs>